these extra services that the primary care practice is to deliver is to be a little more comprehensive. And the bet really is that if you take a traditional primary care practice and you add in these extra services, does that actually bend the curve on total cost of care? Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, the show takes an audio tour of the Maryland Primary Care Program, known as MDPCP, which is a healthcare model being piloted in Maryland by Medicare. It's a program that aims to improve patients' health by investing upfront in specific enhancements to primary care practices, including care management, pharmacy services, and behavioral health treatment. Brian and Josh spoke with a range of executives and clinicians involved in the program about what MDPCP hopes to achieve and how it's going so far. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director at Allidaid, along with my co-host, Brian Chiglinski, who's Allidaid's Senior Director of Communications. We start this show speaking with Dr. Howard Haft. Dr. Haft is the Executive Director of the Maryland Primary Care Program to get an overview of this innovative healthcare model. All right, Dr. Haft, thank you so much. Uh, maybe we could just start with uh, kind of a basic overview. What is the Maryland Primary Care Program? Hey, Brian, the Maryland Primary Care Program is one of the elements of the total cost of care contract that the state of Maryland has entered into for the next decade with the, with the uh, federal government. Um, and that the overall total cost of care contract intends to improve the health of the population of Maryland while restraining the costs of care, particularly uh, being able to provide some savings back to Medicare. We all know that uh, Medicare is uh, teeter-tottering on the, depending on who you talk to, on the verge of insolvency, particularly on the trust fund side. Um, And that uh, Maryland Primary Care Program um, is one of the underpinnings of that total cost of care contract. So as far as the problem that the program was created to solve, it sounds like financial is one of them. What in particular is the solution that's being tested with this program? So Josh, the overall um, the overall test is can we, uh, as a state, be able to restrain the costs of care um, for Medicare over the next decade and produce some savings um, to Medicare while still providing a high quality care and good access to care um, to all Marylanders. Um, And specifically, it it includes some very high level population health goals that we incorporate into what we call the state integrated health improvement strategy. Um, We understood in order to to make all of those lofty things happen, to improve quality and to lower costs, um, that it can't be done on a small scale for the state, it needs to be done on a, a broad scale. Um, and it needs to include as many uh, elements of the healthcare delivery system as possible. So their primary care really rose to the top in terms of how we would be able to address a lot of the issues that we need to address in terms of um, reducing avoidable hospital utilization, which is one of the main ways in which we can reduce unnecessary costs in the healthcare, healthcare system by simply shifting care from high cost hospital care, which usually is, is, is related to things that have gotten to a severe degree of uh, uh, disease or illness or have been unattended to. Not all the things, certainly we use hospitals to birth babies and that's a, we don't want to stop doing that. That's a good use for hospitals. Uh, but many, many times it's, it's chronic disease that's progressed that needs hospitalization or acute disease that could be 
cared for in an ambulatory setting in a primary care office, uh, but for lack of tools or access or other reasons is not. And it winds up having people go to an emergency department or a hospital, which increases the cost and in the complexity and, 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 and probably lowers the outcomes of those, uh, of those conditions considerably. So, so we, we said primary care has to be at the, at the heart of this program and strong, available, and have all the tools necessary to, um, to take care of the, the ambulatory needs of patients. That was really helpful. And I think uh, aligns with a lot of the stuff that we work with, with practices on total cost of care, emphasizing the value of primary care. Um, I'm wondering for an individual practice or patient, how this kind of filters down and what the program means kind of in the day-to-day -day operations of a practice. Yeah, that, Brian, that's another great question. So you, you say you have a program. What is that? What does it do? What does it do to the practice? How does it change care, and how does that affect patients? Well, I think we looked at this in terms of exactly that, um, exactly through exactly that lens, and said, you know, there. What are the things that are missing now in the provision of primary care that we that we believe can um, make that care broader and deeper and more effective um, and impact the lives of people who are served. And, and so we strategically said, let's make investments in this program sufficient to allow practices to do a couple of things that we think were not being done consistently before in the average primary care practice. We helped move the needle from just fee-for-service payments to to population payments by adding some payments that said, you don't have to be just dependent upon how many patients you see each day. Um, we're going to make the payment system <clears throat> more responsive to, to this thought about taking care of a population. So you can be freed up to some extent to take care of the needs of the population rather than having to increase the number of people that you see every day. And you can be selective about the people that you see. We're just at the beginning of that transformation, there's still more work to be done there. Uh, but then we also said there's some really important things that have been neglected in primary care. One is care management. Uh, most practices didn't have dedicated care managers. And we know that some patients just need a lot more attention because their needs are more complex and, and, um, and they go beyond what you can do in a 15 minute or 20 minute or even a half an hour visit with a provider. And they need somebody to stay connected to them outside of those every three-month visits or even every those one-month visits. And care managers can do that. They can selectively um, identify patients together with the providers to be able to um, provide those additional services, whether they're meeting their social needs or making sure that they're attending to their medical needs or their medications or whatever those kinds of things are. Um, and then we, we said, you know, really neglected in the past have been the ability to attend to the, the emotional needs of patients, um, knowing that, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's not been enough behavioral health care delivery in the, in the community in Maryland or in any state in the nation. It's always been a kind of a weak spot in the healthcare delivery system for a variety of reasons. Um, but the majority of, the majority of the behavioral health needs that patients have um, are not those needs that need to go to a psychiatrist. They're not the serious mental illness things, the um, serious bipolar or serious schizophrenic disease. They're things about anxiety and depression and those kinds of disorders that can be cared for 
um, within the primary care practices, um, but they didn't have the resources necessarily to do that. Uh, or, you know, for the most part, not a careful kind of planned design about, you know, how, to, how do I make sure that this patient that, um, that I've identified as being depressed and I put on an antidepressant can't follow up in, a, in an orderly way and somebody check to see how they're doing on an antidepressant, et cetera, et cetera. So we said, as a part of this program, we will absolutely include behavioral health integration into every one of these practices and give them resources, both financial and technical resources to be able to integrate those into the, into the, um, into the practice. Um, and, and, and other kinds of things, pharmacists in order to help with complex pharmacy uh, issues, community health workers to be able to go out into the community under the direction of the practices for those patients who, um, who may not be easily reached otherwise, but are still part of that practice. Um, and in essence, created a movement from, from individual provider um, and their small team of uh, perhaps a medical assistant or a nurse uh, to team-based care um, and, been, and being very intentional on, on that. Um, so I think those are the kinds of things that we, we said we needed to do in order to, um, to address um, the, the more pervasive needs um, that weren't being addressed in the, in the current uh, or the legacy primary care um, system. Uh, and, and by doing those things, be able to improve the health of the population um, and also reduce avoidable hospital and ED utilization. So meet kind of those two goals of better health and by reducing utilization, ultimately that reduces the costs of care. Well, Dr. Howard Half, thank you so much for taking the time and telling us about the MDPCP program. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for what you do. We're now joined by Tyler Blanchard, our ACO Executive Director for Maryland, to talk to us a little bit about the MDPCP program and how it aligns with Allidade's core MSSP. Thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Josh. Excited to be here. So I guess our first question to start off, just tell us a little bit about how the MDPCP program uh, is this unique thing that, that comes out of Maryland's unique approach uh, to healthcare. Yeah, Maryland has always been an innovative state when it comes to healthcare and is a special market to Allidade. Even before Allidade existed, you know, the Maryland model was transforming the way that hospitals are paid within the state um, and is still unique to this day um, in the state of Maryland. Uh, Allidade is based in Maryland, and Maryland was uh, one of the first ACOs that we started back in 2015. Um, and we enjoyed working with independent practices on our ACO model for three years until the MDPCP program came along in 2019. In 2019, we pivoted and uh, supported our practices in participating in this model with a cohort of what has grown now to 13 independent practices throughout the state, uh, collectively caring for a little over 10,000 Medicare patients through the MDPCP model. We're really excited in 2021 to add the ACO model back on top of MDPCP and really find that the two programs complement each other very well with MDPCP helping to fund some of the innovative care delivery methods that we think will contribute to high quality and improved outcomes and the ACO model allowing for sharing in the savings generated back to Medicare. Tyler Blanchard, Allied Executive Director in Maryland and also Delaware. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you.
Okay, we're now joined with uh, Chantel Matthews, a care manager in the Maryland Primary Care Program uh, for two providers, both both in the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Chantel, thanks so much for joining us. And we'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your day-to-day -day work with the MDPCP program and, and what that entails. As a care manager for the provider, I reach out to patients uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and I'm calling patients who might have been in the emergency room or they might have been hospitalized uh, for either acute or chronic conditions uh, with, uh, you know, with an exacerbation and um, really following up with them to make sure they have their discharge instructions and un understand them, do medication reconciliation, determine if they need uh, care management, ongoing care management. Uh, and I do episodic and longitudinal care management. Episodic is short term. You know, these are people that I, that might have been in the hospital recently and they just need that medication reconciliation or uh, to make sure that they are seeing uh, their, their providers after hospital stay, they're following up. Uh, some people think that, you know, they don't need to go back to the doctor. And so I'm getting them back to the doctor or their specialist, uh, back to their provider. And um, they may need longitudinal care management if they have uh, chronic conditions, comorbidities. Uh, they may need, um, they may have additional needs where I will follow them in care management uh, for a period of time. And the focus is really on self-care management. So, you know, patients go, they see their doctor, they might spend 15, maybe 30 minutes with their doctor, and then they go home and it's really up to them to manage their conditions on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and so they're making decisions all the time uh, based, you know, on their health and, um, you know, do they test their blood sugars? Do they not test their blood sugars? Do they eat the right things? Do they not eat the right things? You know, are they following their treatment plan? And so sometimes it can be an educational thing where they may not know uh, what their treatment plan is or understand their treatment plan. Other times it may be uh, more of a motivational uh, issue where they're um, needing some coaching, uh, which is provided. And a lot of times there's just barriers uh, that come up uh, that need to be removed, identified and removed. So maybe they are more concerned about the fact that they're going to be evicted. Uh, so their health is really on the back burner. Uh, you know, maybe they've been in and out of the hospital and they are not concerned about caring for themselves because they're more concerned about this more pressing need of finding a place to live. So those are some things that I that I work with with patients um, to help them really establish goals, health related goals, uh, determine their needs, their preferences, and help them towards managing their their conditions. Chantel, Medicare has essentially made a bet. It sounds like that putting a down payment on care management would be good to keep patients healthy and lower the cost of care. That seeing a physician every now and then is insufficient, that people need care in between episodes. And some of these examples you're describing are, are pretty clear about why that might be the case. How are you seeing it actually play out? You know, do you have examples of ways in which you've, you've seen it be successful? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
So uh, a lot of times I'm helping people understand uh, their medications. You know, there's all kinds of issues with understanding, with memory. You know, what the medical information that's provided is often forgotten, or they may just not understand it because of things like health literacy. So I am able to help them remember by reiterating the instructions and help them understand by giving them non-medical terms and, and really just presenting the information in maybe a different way. So one example, I have a patient recently who had a diagnosis of cancer and uh, he, he had um, an infection in the same place that he was getting these radiation treatments to his cancer. I don't want to give any more detailed information away. But he went to see the provider. The provider prescribed an antibiotic for him. And when I called him after his appointment, he did not pick up the antibiotic because he didn't have the money to pay for it. And the pharmacy would not dispense it. So I contacted the pharmacy and I explained the importance of the antibiotic and the fact that he did not have the money for it. And we worked out a plan so that he could get his medication right away, start on it, and just pay the pharmacy um, at a later date. Uh, and and sometimes getting people on a payment plan, you know, for their medications can can really help with that. And a lot of times patients don't know that they have this option, you know, for payment plans or how to even work it out with with the vendor or the provider on how to access care. Um, another example I have is I had a patient with chronic kidney disease, high blood pressure and diabetes. She was seeing a lot of specialists and there were a lot of medication changes. Uh, when I contacted the daughter, uh, she didn't understand really the outcome after seeing the uh, nephrologist. She wasn't understanding like what was impacting the kidney disease, which was the high blood pressure and the diabetes. So just on the basis of not understanding how the blood pressure and the diabetes impacted the kidney disease, there wasn't a sense of importance or a sense of urgency to monitoring her blood sugars, monitoring her blood pressure. They didn't really see the importance in that. So really uh, sitting down with them and explaining, you know, this is, these chronic conditions are impacting the kidney disease. And if they're not kept under control, if there's no self-management to control them, the disease, the kidney disease is going to worsen. So just sitting down and explaining, you know, the importance of a low salt diet, monitoring the blood sugars and the blood pressure, uh, and also getting the specialists involved in the communication was really important and um, helped the patient have a better outcome and her chronic kidney disease is now stable because she's really managing her conditions now, now that she understands what's at stake. Chantel Matthews, care manager for the Maryland Primary Care Program. We appreciate you joining us. All right, now we're joined by Claire McNutt, the Vice President of Partnerships and Collaborative Care at Mindula. Uh, Claire, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We're, we're talking a little bit about the MDPCP program uh, and particularly the integration of behavioral health with the program. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what Mindula is and how it interacts with the MDPCP program. 
Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me today, Brian. So Mindula um, is a population health management company out of Silver Spring, Maryland. We um, identify, engage, and serve populations across the, the continuum of behavioral health needs. And so what we do with Allidaid and with the MDPCP program is we actually enable integrated behavioral health care. We have a turnkey collaborative care solution. It is um, free to implement. It is uh, obviously one of the most well-evident ways to integrate behavioral health care. Uh, it is uh, revenue generating for the practice, and it's incredibly uh, beneficial both, uh, both clinically and economically for the practices. And what does it look like from a practical point of view? If, you know, if you're a practice, what are you seeing? If you're a patient, what are you getting? Yeah, absolutely. So if you are a practice, um, we would come in, we'd have sort of an intro meeting with you. Um, you'd hear my little spiel about how uh, there's so much evidence base behind the collaborative care model. And we, um, one of the most important pieces that we do is we overlay the practice in a way that doesn't change the workflow. So we can accept orders into the collaborative care program via um, direct or an HIE, CCDA. We can accept them straight from the EMR. We can accept them via fax. We are going to reach out with, to the patients within you know 24 to 48 hours of receiving that order, explain the program, explain the finances. Um, there are, of course, uh, you know, uh, CPT codes associated with the program. Uh, Medicare and most commercial insurances are paying for collaborative care right now. We're going to answer any questions about the finances. We're going to do an intake. Um, Mindula has its own proprietary discovery assessment where we have initial assessments that um, we have branching logic to uh, that we built with Georgetown University that branch into um, specialized assessments for depression or anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder, substance use disorder. And then we schedule an intake. The intake is going to be with the patient and the behavioral health care manager. This is a master's level individual who is going to do much like a, an inpatient H&P, everything from, you know, what has the patient gone through in the past to really importantly, what are the goals um, of the patient in, in going forward. All of that case is going to be presented to our consultant psychiatrists. These are board certified state licensed psychiatrists. We're going to weigh in on the patient's case. And that um, report is going to go back to the PCP. The report is going to have two really important things among a bunch of things. Um, one is the suggested diagnosis. Likely these may be uh, more specific and more numerous than the diagnosis that the patient was sent over. Think, um, you know, a patient is sent over with mood disorder unspecified. When we're done with our intake and our assessment and our presentation to the psychiatrist, we now understand the patient likely has major disorder, dis um, major depressive disorder, um, recurrent and mild. And also a treatment plan. The treatment plan may have suggested um, medications and it will certainly have suggested non pharmacologic treatments like the brief therapeutic interventions that we do with the patients, problem-solving therapy, elements of CBT, um, you know, uh, mindfulness techniques, and then also connecting the patients to resources as they request and as is uh, recommended by the consultant psychiatrist. We usually uh, have the patient with us for four to six months and they get much better. Uh, so Claire, you said you're seeing good outcomes. Can you talk us through what exactly that looks like? Absolutely. So part of the um, the way that you deliver collaborative care and with the most fidelity to the, the model is to track um, depression and anxiety and, and um, symptoms over time. And so we're doing a PHQ-9 as a measure of depression and a GAD-7 as a measure of anxiety every month with, with the patients that we're treating. We have over 50% of our patients achieving a clinically meaningful reduction in their PHQ-9 within 60 days. A clinically meaningful reduction is um, described as either either a 50% decrease from their baseline score, a five-point decrease from their baseline score, or a score of five or below, which indicates remission. 77% of our patients um, who have completed more than one PHQ-9 achieve that clinically meaningful reduction within six months. 
those are some really fantastic uh, results. And I love hearing about the the fact that it's, it's kind of a no wrong door approach for patients, um, that there's this rapid response to get them uh, connected with with the care, and then kind of a, a variety of, of ways to follow up and, and treatment options. Um, I was just wondering, pulling back now, 30,000 foot view, what does this kind of program and this relationship do you think mean for uh, the future of better integration between behavioral health and primary care? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that collaborative care and the integration of behavioral health care into the primary care space and into to medical specialty spaces is the future of behavioral health care. Um, we all know that there is just simply not enough psychiatrists and therapists, and we need to be able to, from a population health level, take care of, of the many individuals, and now with COVID-19, even the more many individuals who have behavioral health needs. I think that the collaborative care intervention is this really wonderful way of extending the relationship that the PCP has developed with their patient and then scaling the human connection. It's not an app, it's not you know a quick fix, it's, it's developing a very convenient and um, synchronous relationship with another human being to help with the, with the behavioral health needs of the patient. Well, Claire McNutt, Vice President of Partnerships and Collaborative Care at Mindula, appreciate you coming on the show to talk us through this. Thank you so much for having me, I really appreciate it. Next, we go to Dr. Raj Dua. Dr. Dua is an Allidade Medical Director and a practicing family physician at Centennial Medical Group, a group practice in Elk Ridge, Maryland, that is part of the MD-PCP program. All right, Dr. Dua, maybe we could start with um, kind of how the program affects day-to-day practice operations and how it how you see it filtering down at a practice level. Sure. So MD-PCP is a program that is statewide. Basically, Maryland itself has committed to a program for total cost of care and to become an all-payer state. And in order to be successful at that, uh, they created a program called MDPCP, which was a program to disperse funds to assist primary care practices to basically transform into an advanced primary care practice. It's a little bit different than a shared savings program. The funds that are used are allocated in very specific buckets or categories in which the practice is supposed to use to transform. And these extra services or extra services that the primary care practice is to deliver is to be a little more comprehensive. And the bet really is that if you take a traditional primary care practice and you add in these extra services, does that actually bend the curve on total cost of care? And so, leading to the triple aim with improved quality, uh, improved access, you know, can this actually happen? And so this pilot from CMMI is basically what MDPCP is. And so care management is a component. Uh, We are to use funds to have a care management component to assist with the management of our complex patients. We need to have a behavioral health component integrated in our practice. Pharmacy and medication management is also another component. And so once you start to latch on these extra ancillary services to traditional primary care, you now can have uh, a better uh, comprehensive delivery to the patient that hopefully will impact either utilization or standard of care, the basic quality and standard of care. Um, So from our practice standpoint, it's done a couple things. 
normally we would not have sometimes resources to know even where to send the patient if they had a behavioral health issue. Having somebody in-house utilizing Mindula, which is another uh, third-party vendor that assists us with our behavioral health integration. Having patients that leave the hospital and doing medication reconciliation with a pharmacist or even having a care manager assist in their transition in complex care needs a traditional practice may not have had the resources to help coordinate that. And so when you can avoid a readmission or medication errors, all of this translates to hopefully decreased utilization and improved quality of care. And so the funds that are coming from MDPCP assist us in those investments so that we can actually perform. So I see MDPCP as funds, infrastructure funds to help transform the practice into an advanced primary care practice. In a nutshell, that's what MDPCP is. There's not a requirement to say, hey, you need to create shared savings. That's what an ACO is about. And so I see MDPCP as the infrastructure funds to become successful in performance. Your performance rewards occur in the ACO program, which is a shared savings program. So that's how I see both of these kind of playing a role in the Medicare space. MDPCP is purely Medicare. Uh, so that's also something to, to understand. While the quality measures, we are accountable for all payer. So when they're tracking our A1C performance or blood pressure performance, um, our CAP surveys, those are released to all payer, so all of our patients. But from a payment model standpoint, the per member per month payments are coming based on Medicare beneficiaries that are attributed to our practice. And so the performance of how we manage those patients would come in a shared savings program like an ACO. That was excellent, really clear. I actually understand it better than I, than I did before. How do you think it plays out for you as a doctor, for your clinic and for the patients? Do you think it is making a material change in the way things are delivered? Right. And, and, I, and I'd probably answer that in phases. And what I mean by that is, you know, as a provider, we get pretty, uh, we get in cruise control with our routines and our workflows, right? So anytime there's an introduction of a new way to do something, um, there's some mental work there, you know, and, and there has to be constant reminder to basically like, hey, that this resource is available. Even myself at times forget that, oh, refer to Mindula, this patient would be a good candidate. So getting into that practice and habit that you actually have the availability of these things and knowing that somebody could benefit from it is kind of an extra step that we're getting used to. And then the other uh, part of this is then if you have a group practice like we do, uh, getting other providers in that habit as well. And so it's really important that you have measurables so that you can start to see, are we actually referring enough. And if there's enough patients in there, then monitoring what the quality is. And so, you know, for our, I would love at some point um, to get to the point to understand our community, because part of this experiment really is, is that the beneficiaries that are attributed to our practice, what are their real needs? Social determinants is a part of the care management. And so it would be what you theoretically would do is that through this program, you would have the ability to understand what their social needs are or even clinical needs are. And then those investments would be used in resources to assist those needs. So if it finds out through care management that the hundred complex patients we have and 60% of them have transportation issues, then Centennial Medical Group would look for resources to assist in transportation. 
because that's a need of our community. Uh, to answer your direct question, I think, um, you know, as for anything new, there is some hiccups, you know, just getting the referral button going, you know, and identifying patients, getting used to somebody else co-managing your patient is also something that's been new, you know, so having a care manager say like, hey, uh, you have a patient who's been discharged from the hospital, they're coming in tomorrow at two o'clock, and it looks like they're having these issues. Having that come ahead of time is a little bit different flow. And they're probably bringing up points that I may not even brought up in the visit because it doesn't come up in the conversation, right? And so to be honest, on one side, you know, it's great it's happening because issues can get addressed. On the other side, sometimes it's clinically overwhelming because if you're already just trying to deal with the clinical part and you may not know how to solve the other part. And so I think getting through some of those struggles clinically as a provider, there's some time it takes to kind of get used to it. But I think in the end, it's, it's for the better. Well, Dr. Raj Dua, we appreciate you speaking to us. Thank you. This episode of The ACO Show was produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Our theme music is by Donna Korn. You can find previous episodes on our website, alliday.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACO Show.